Hi, I'm Nick Gill, International Strength and Conditioning Coach. I've been working with the All Blacks for the past 15 years and have been part of two successful Rugby World Cups. I love to coach rugby players and I love to see them succeed on and off the field. And now, I can be part of your rugby journey. This episode is brought to you by Perform. Perform will help you dominate on the pitch, push for selection, and reach your full potential. If you've ever wondered how top rugby players structure their training, when they work on speed, what they do in the gym, how they become match fit, how they recover, and finally, how much they eat, we provide you with the blueprint by sharing all of Gilly's tried and tested training methods and coaching education with you in our Perform membership. As a listener of the Rugby Ready podcast, you get to save 50% off your first four weeks by using the code podcast at checkout. Go to www.rugbyready.ca backslash perform and sign up today. All right. Welcome everyone to the first edition of a live Q&A with Gilly. Uh, basically the way this is going to go, um, as we go through the call, um, feel free to join us at any time. Uh, leave your questions in the chat box. I'll read them as we go through and then um, I'll reply to you if I select you and then I'll unmute your mic and you can just ask Gilly live. Um, so let's get right into it. How are you doing, Gilly? Yeah, good. Thanks, Bucky. Good. Thanks. Um, nice and wet where I am at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm putting on a using an umbrella. I'm putting on a jacket, and I'm good to go. You got your gum boots? No, no gummies, mate. No gummies. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So we had um, a few of our members submitted some really great questions. So we're going to start off um, just with a reminder, you guys. Make sure you use a notebook. You'll remember what you write down. So jot down some notes because these uh, these are going to be really helpful and pertinent to your rugby training. So first question is from Antonio. My main question I have for Gilly is what does he do to get the boys uh, or what does he get the boys to do to help with jet lag when changing time zones so they're ready for training and preparations for competition? Yeah, good question. Um, good question. I suppose um, for any athletes um, or for any person that's travelling um, a decent way, um, the jet lag or the adjusting to the time zone and the recovery from the travel is sort of two different things. Um, you know, we get travel fatigue from not sleeping very well, not being comfortable, um, you know, breathing some bizarre air that's pumped through the jets. Um so I think there's there's one that you're generally a little bit sleep sleep deprived once you get to your location. Um, that's the first thing you got to acknowledge that there will be some fatigue from the travel. And then the second thing is that you're trying to, I suppose, um, get into a new time zone. Uh, most important thing is just to get straight into the new time zone. So if you arrive and it's lunchtime, you have lunch. If you arrive um, and it's the afternoon and it's actually middle of the middle of the night back home. Well, you don't, definitely don't go and jump in your bed and have a little quick sleep. Um, so I think the most important thing is you you get straight into the new time zone and you structure, I suppose, your days around trying to get sunlight to stay awake. Um, structure your day so you're avoiding just lying down on your bed for five minutes, even though it feels really good. You just stay away. Um, put things in place to keep you and your group awake. Um whether it's a card game or um, going out for dinner or something like that. So so you just need to try and um, help each other stay awake, 
um, when the time's right, get some sleep um, and know that it's going to take you, you know, probably a day for every two hours of time shift. Um, so if you're traveled and there's a 10 hour time shift, it's probably going to take you five or six days to feel half okay and just be patient and try to stick to the, the new, the new schedule in, in the country you're in. Do you use caffeine at all? Or do you try to avoid that? Like to stay awake? You know what I mean? Like, say if it's not- I love caffeine, mate. So, you know, <laughs> caffeine definitely is, um, on my, on my plan, um, I think people should use what works best for them. And um, like I definitely use coffee when I'm feeling a bit flat, um, especially that, you know, if we're, if we've traveled up to the UK, the afternoon's pretty, pretty challenging. So um, yeah, sunlight or caffeine or, and caffeine are probably the two key things. Um, and, and I think that, you know, also acknowledging the fact that if you've been on a plane for 20 or 30 hours, um, you know, you, you probably will have a bit of a stiff, sore lower back. So you need to make sure you loosen up your hips and your lower back. And you probably need to just not have the first day with any intense exercise, but don't take a day or two before you ramp things up a bit, especially through the lower back. Excellent. So I hope that helps, Tony. That That's a pretty comprehensive answer. Um, and if you have any other questions about that at all, then uh, join us next month. So Martin, Martin is a member of Perform. He had a great question. Gilly, is there one or several KPIs that you feel are actually meaningful? And to go into his question, I somewhat automatically track HRV and resting heart rate through my sports watch, strength strength numbers by logging training, plus my best 5K and Bronco time. He keeps track of his weight as well. If these numbers are moving roughly where he wants them to be, does that mean that his training is productive or should he focus on feeling better on the pitch and how he's performing as a rugby player? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'll answer it two ways. I think um, tracking your numbers is great because if you are progressing in all those areas, then the program you're currently on is doing wonders for you. Um, Getting fitter, getting stronger and sleeping well, um, I think are really, really important um, numbers to be able to see. However, um, getting good gains in the gym or getting uh, improvements in Bronco doesn't mean you're going to play better on Saturday. So I think that the balance needs to be in a way where you're getting physically better, but you're fresh come game day so you can express your skills. The the fittest player is not the best player. Okay, so um, the difference being executing your core role under pressure and under fatigue. And so if you're going to a game a bit flat, then you're not going to be able to do your role at the level that you possibly could. So I think get the balance right between tracking numbers and then feeling amazing on game day so that you can actually express yourself. That's good that you said that too, because I I know this this question in, in one way or another comes up a lot with our members. They're wanting to push hard through the week. They want to make sure they're progressing. And with one of our coaching clients, um, I really worked hard to rein him in during the week. And then sure enough, performances on the Saturday just skyrocketed. So for you guys listening to this, uh, to the recorded version, make sure you really take that to heart. All right, Callum had a great question. Hey, Nick, what are your go-to off-feet alternative conditioning workouts for rugby? 
So could you think of, I know that's a big question because there could be tons. Holy hicka, how long, how long we got, Callum? Holy hicka, mate. Um, hey, look, I, I think it's, um, <laughs> yeah, look, hey, um, you know, our feet's really important um, for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But I think for, for me, it's probably dependent on the needs of the athlete and even the position the athlete's um, in, but also, I suppose, the physical profile of that person at the time. So, you know, if you're an athlete that, you know, starts to struggle at the 50, 60, 70-minute mark, then maybe the off-feed intervals need to be more aerobic-based to build endurance. Um, you know, if you're an athlete that, you know, how you play the game and how you perform your role um, on the field um, and your position and your team involves lots of repeat high-intensity tasks and you feel like you can do, you can express some high power outputs one or two or three times, but then you feel like you're just losing a bit of power because you're getting tired, then then maybe your off-feet sessions need to be more repeat high-intensity, short-duration efforts. So you're trying to work on the recovery of that anaerobic output. So, you know, I think it's a it's a question that really depends on the context. Um, and, and I think if you establish or, or figure out where it is that you need to get some development, what energy system you need to develop and, and, a, and a reason why, based on your rugby performance, um, then that should answer your question. Short and intense working on repeatability um, or longer uh, longer efforts working on endurance and, and obviously parts in between. Yeah, so just on that note, because um, I'm sure Callum's going to take that to heart and, and, you know, potentially hopefully implement those things. If he was to do power output training, let's say he was doing five to 10 second efforts at a sprint pace. How long would you say he should rest in between efforts? If you're wanting to improve maximal output, then you need longer rest. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to work on repeatability, you need slightly shorter rests so that you are actually challenging the body to recover faster. Mm -hmm. So if it's all about improving my one-off effort, I'd probably have a, I don't know, a one to 10 work to rest ratio. Mm -hmm. So if you're working hard for 10 seconds, then I'd be looking to have, you know, three, four minutes off. Um, if you're trying to work on maximal output, if you wanted to work on repeatability, then it's probably more like a one to six, one to one to three, you know, so if you're working on six second maximal effort and you want to repeat it, um, then I'd be sort of having 30 seconds of a breather and then going again or 40 seconds of a breather going again so that you are working on maximal output, but you're trying to repeat it and therefore challenging the body to recover, build up lactic acid, operate under um, increased lactic acid conditions and you know in time you'll become a, a lactate animal <laughs> that should be a t-shirt lactate animal love that yeah man. Uh, jack jack had a great question what neck exercises do you recommend adding into the training week during an off-season block good question next massively important um i, I think that you know, I, I, I think that a lot of the um, injury risk factors should be worked on all the time. So neck, calf, hamstring. Um, and if you want to get improvement, then you can't do those exercises once a week. So, you know, if you do those things twice a week, then, you know, you might make a few changes and a few gains, but doing them three times a week is probably where the gold's at. Um, so, I mean, I think neck bridges, I think neck harness work, um, I think just manual resistance neck exercise with a partner 
um, and just constantly challenging the neck through flexion extension, but also isometric holds. Um, so I think that's probably all that you're needing to do is um, whether it's on the field in your warm up, some some bridges, some wrestling bridges, whether it's in the gym with some harnesses, working on extension or flexion or both, um, a rotational work. Um, there's there's plenty of different exercises to put in there, but you probably need to be doing it three times a week. And would you say, so for guys out there, girls out there listening to this that are on a busy schedule and say they have 90 minutes to train would and, and they need to be doing this two to three times a week, w- would they be doing this then during their rest periods? Like, could they get their neck training in during, during rest? Absolutely. Like, if you think about we're trying to get stronger, then we're probably needing three minutes between sets. Mm-hmm. That three minutes, let's say 15 seconds of it's recovering from your lift, putting the bar up. Um you know, and then you need to prep for for the next set. So maybe that's another fifteen seconds. Sorry. Um, so all of a sudden, you got about two minutes. You know, so if you're if you're organised and you and you you've got your harness next to your squat, for example, then in your rest period, you do your modifiable risk factors, and it means you're going to have a better quality rest and a sufficient rest. You're going to lift better in your your core lift, and at the same time, you're you're getting some more added value out of your program. Beautiful. Love it. And something for you guys listening as well that we're going to be working on, uh, the conditioning manual should be out next week. And then after that, we're going to look at uh, an injury prevention manual. So stay tuned. Um, Ollie had a great question. What could an athlete do in the gym to help recover from plantar fasciitis? Yeah, good question. Um, I actually was going to suggest we didn't talk about this one, but um, but I've decided against that. I, I suppose the first of all, um, the recovery of an injury like plantar fasciitis is, is should be led by a physio or a doctor, right? So mm-hmm. that's the first thing. Um, but if 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 the symptoms are starting to improve, um, then I, I think the thing for me is understanding how it happened in the first place. And then try and understand the mechanism of why this occurred so that it can be prevented. Um, if it's from poor footwear, um, if it's from too much loading through the front of the foot and pushing positions, um, when you're not strong enough or you weren't ready for it, then, then obviously you want to, um, either avoid that going forward. Um, but the mechanism is important because that's probably where you need to improve your strength. And so, you know, proprioception work, um, horizontal loading or strengthening so that the front of the foot has been loaded, um, and treatment, you know, using a ball to make sure that you're massaging and loosening off that tightness that you're feeling. Um, but the first thing is guided by a physiotherapist, um, understanding mechanism and then avoiding whatever created it in the first place and understanding that we need to progress that thing. So, if, as I said, if it was horizontal sled pushes that, that brought it on, doesn't mean you don't do horizontal sled pushes, but maybe you just got to build up the load and the speed slowly as the body um, becomes accustomed to that position. Good one. Yeah, I think on the note of footwear as well, like, Ollie, make sure, you know, obviously rugby boots are going to be tight around the, the front of the foot, but there are brands out there like I know Adidas. For me, I've got a really wide foot. They tend to fit better. Um, so look into that. Make sure you get some boots that fit a wider foot. Um, they might not be as fashionable, but they'll be more effective for you. Uh, Adidas. 
Fucking Adidas. Yeah, yeah. The Copa, if you want to go old school, the Copa Mundial, man, they're nice wide foot. My dad and I have big clod hoppers, so we tend to wear the same boots. <laughs> um, so this question was for me because I'm interested, and I know a lot of a lot of um our athletes are also interested in how you train and recover. So what is your go-to snack after a training session when you're hangry and you can't go home and have a meal right away? Um, yeah, like people always ask that sort of question. Like I think um, essentially it depends on the session that you've done, right? So first of all, it depends what training you've done. And second of all, it, it, it depends on what you've organized prior. Because you can't eat anything if you haven't organized your stuff. Like if you haven't prepared to fuel after the session, then then you're not going to eat anything that's half half good for you. So um, I think if it was a strength session, then I'd be looking towards um, definitely a protein source of some sort. Um, you know, so whether that was in the form of a, a boiled egg um, or a, a scoop of whey protein and, and some water or some milk shaken up in a shaker. Um, you know, so I think a source of protein post a gym session is important. Um, so it depends what you've organized and where you are. Um, in contrast to that, if it's a it's a running-based conditioning session or a long rugby session, um, then you're probably needing a little bit of protein, but also some carbohydrate. So again, I'd probably be having a smoothie as something um, that would be, I'd feel like putting down my, putting into my mouth. Um, and the difference being that I might throw some berries in it to get some carbohydrate load so the berries and the milk and the protein and i've got my perfect recovery sort of snack um if i was trying to hold on to lean muscle i'd probably be having a, a boiled egg um if i was trying to fill the tank up and recover well from a from a, a an on-feet session a rugby session or a running session then um you know a, a banana um oranges anything with some good carbohydrate load would would help refuel or replenish the glycogen in the muscles so context is important, what sort of session, and then where you are and what's available or what you've organized. Um, but we do know that within 20 to 30 minutes, we need to provide the body with something to help us recover from whatever it is we did. Awesome. All right, last question for our members. This is a good one. So Katie asks, if an athlete strains, sprains, or breaks something in a leg or arm, can they continue training on the non-injured side if they had been assessed by a physiotherapist and doctor? And does this cause uh, does this cause a strength imbalance? Um, you're going to get a strength imbalance anyway, right? You're going to get a strength imbalance because one one arm is 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 un, can't be used, can't be um, can't be moved. Um, so you're going to start to lose lose strength really fast um, in muscle size. So. Um, our advice, at least, is that you keep training the the, the arm that's okay. Um, and there is this phenomenon called cross-education where, you know, if you're training just your left side, then hormonally and neurally, you're likely to get some gains on the side you're not training anyway. Okay, so it's been shown in some literature a long time ago that that training single limb, there will be transference to the untrained limb. And so, yes, there will be a, a an asymmetry developed, but you're better off having one strong arm and one weak arm than having two weak arms. 
So definitely get into the single arm training or single leg training to try and maintain or minimize loss. Awesome. And Katie, just to add to that as well, um, you know, that could also mean that you need to ask someone in the gym to assist you. You know, if you can't pick things up and carry them around, um, ask a workout buddy to go with you, ask someone to help you, because as Gilly just said, um, you can still at least maintain. All right, guys, that was uh, that was awesome. Um, we look forward to the next edition we'll do next month. Gilly's going to be in the thick of it in the World Cup, so we'll figure out how to do that around his schedule. But thanks a lot, Gilly. This was awesome. No sweat. Thanks, team. Go well. Take care. Train hard. If you'd like to join our next live Q&A with Gilly, simply become a member of Perform or sign up for our one-on-one coaching and every single month, not only will you get access to great training, you also get to chat one-on-one with Gilly during these live calls. We'll see you next time.